Hi, I'm Robin Birkin and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast, a place for women struggling to conceive to find emotional support, conception advice and real talk. To me, being a warrior means true glory is in rising every time we fall, having the courage to be afraid and being ready for whatever challenges cross our path. So welcome, warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome back to the Fertility Warriors podcast. Today, I am very excited to chat with Karen from Hilariously Infertile. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of you know about Karen. Her Instagram feed pretty much has every single funny, hilarious, like I totally relate with that meme on the internet. So if you haven't heard of her, you've been living under a rock and you need to go check out her Instagram. But I'm thrilled to welcome Karen here today to share a little bit about her journey, her philosophy uh, and what she has going on. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. So I really wanted to get you on today to share a little bit about your story and to share a little bit about the real Karen and, you know, like what it looks like behind the scenes for you, what your journey looks like and things like that. So are you able to take us back to the beginning of when you were like, okay, baby time? Yes. Okay. So actually, I remember it very, very vividly. It was one of my best girlfriends was pregnant and um, she suffered a miscarriage and it hit me very, very hard. And I just I was so sad. I was heartbroken for her, with her. And I remember saying to my husband, I was like, what if that that could happen to us? Like, I don't, I don't even know. And so like a month or two later, I was like, I really think that we should start trying, even though we hadn't planned on starting to try or anything that early on in our marriage. He finally agreed and we started trying. And I was not getting my period for months and months and months. And so we were having unprotected sex and I wasn't getting my period. So I was like, every month I thought I was pregnant. Like I legitimately thought I was pregnant every time. And then, but I also like was getting these negative pregnancy test results. And I was like, what is happening? Like I'm having unprotected sex. I'm not getting my period, but I'm not pregnant. So like, what's going on? So after about like six months of that, I went to my doctor and she was like, this is not normal. We need to start you on Clomid. So she started me on a first round of Clomid, nothing happened, didn't even ovulate. Next month, another round of Clomid. And again, nothing happened. And she said, she called me and she left me a voicemail on my cell phone on like a Friday afternoon and was like, I think you have PCOS and I want you to go to the fertility clinic, you know, down the street. But I didn't know what PCOS meant. And she's like, and it's Friday afternoon, bye. <laughs> like, do you have anyone <laughs> Yeah. I didn't have anyone to call. I had no answers. I had a million questions and I went home and I Googled PCOS. And the only thing I could see was infertile, infertility, trouble getting pregnant. And I was just, I mean, I was wreck. Like I was inconsolable. I practically threw my laptop across my apartment. It was like, it was really, really bad. And you just, you have so many questions. Like, are there different levels? Am I never going to get pregnant? Like a no joke. I called my husband. I was like, we have to adopt. And he was like, whoa, <laughs> like, like, I didn't even know 
And then he, you know, really calmed me down once he came home and we, and we walked through it and we started going to the fertility clinic and they were very optimistic. They're like, yes, it's bad, but it's also, you know, we can help you. And, and they weren't as like crisis, like I was, cause I was like, you know, so, um, so that was really the beginning of me finding out that I was infertile. And in those months when you were trying on your own, that's really hard to not get a period. Like, what is the point where you go, uh, I think a new cycle has started. Uh, when am I ovulating? Like, how did you navigate that? Because I feel like that would be just, I feel like all of us, when we get to like six months, we're just already at this super low point. But to have to deal with that kind of false hope over and over again, how did that feel? for you that was really hard especially because I was using the ovulation kits and and they didn't really work for me and they would show me that smiley face and so I would think I was ovulating but then I would never get my period I mean basically for like four or five months I thought I was pregnant every single moment of every single day because and I like went to a bachelorette party and like wasn't drinking and my girlfriend was like what's going on and and I was like I think I might be I don't know and because I just had no idea so it was that part was really weird to me. Like I just didn't understand what was going on with my body. And it's like in those two weeks, wait, but it was like six months, like every little twins, every little, everything, like every sore, every, everything. I was like, Ooh, maybe this is something. And I was like making up symptoms in my head because it, it starts to actually mess with you. So that part was, that was really a struggle. But then once I started getting some answers, I was like, what was happening in my body? That was more helpful, devastating, but also helpful because I was like, okay, there's a diagnosis we have a starting point, we know what's next. And then that, then there was like a plan going forward. Okay. So you're a teacher. I see a lot of teachers in my programs and you kind of like marketing managers as well. Super organized, like to know the answer, like a bit of a type A. So were you just Google queen? Um, you know, what's so funny. I wasn't a Google queen. I was more like the planner. Like I wanted to know the plan and and in my head, when I first like started trying, I was like, oh, we'll, we'll get pregnant over the summer. So we'll have a spring baby. So then I can just take off the summertime. I'll be back in September at work and I'll be better for my students and better for me. And like, that was one of the first things that I had to like really let go of was that like the calendar of like when it would be the optimal time to like get pregnant and therefore then have a baby, you know, nine months later. So I wasn't like a Googling queen so much, but I more was like, I have to plan this. I have to plan this. And then the taking the time off of work, making sure that I had everything planned for work before taking time off that to me, that was more stressful. Like when you have to do the IUIs and the, and all the doctor's visits and the initial visits and the HSG and, and making sure that everything was planned out for my students. And then also for me, that part was the hardest part, but I didn't Google that much, which is weird. I don't know why. Like Google exists, exists, like it's existed. I don't know why I didn't Google more. I want to see pump that though. Like <laughs> Google will send you down the rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. So when you got to the fertility clinic, did you start making any lifestyle changes? Did you start like changing your diet up or changing any of your daily routine as a result? That's actually a really good question. I was not the healthiest person when I first started trying to conceive. I mean, I wasn't like totally unhealthy, but I didn't really exercise that much. Probably drank a little bit too much, you know, like definitely had 
probably one or two glasses of wine a night, which now I'm like, that seems like a lot to me now, you know? So there were definitely some things that, that looking back, I'm like, huh, but, but I remember after my first failed IUI, my husband said to me like halfway through the cycle, he was like, you know, maybe if it doesn't work as I was like eating a bag of Cheetos, he was like, (laughs) he was like, you know, if it doesn't work this month, maybe we should start thinking about eating organically. And I like, I must've looked at him like I was going to hurt him or something. But I was like, I have PCOS, like eating organically isn't like in a day, you know, like isn't going to change my diagnosis. And that was honestly before I knew anything about inflammatory responses or endocrine inhibitors. And I didn't know anything about, about different types of foods that do, you know, help with fertility or not. Like I honestly was just like, I have an infertility diagnosis and if I eat kale tomorrow, it's not going to change my diagnosis. So like I was kind of on the fence and even still to this day, like I am still on the fence with the whole like dietary thing and the benefits. I'm sure, you know, put whatever you put into your body, obviously making sure that it's good, I think is very important, but I didn't do a lot of changing my way of life. I did cut down on alcohol, obviously when we were going through fertility treatments and caffeine too, because I drink, I don't drink coffee, but I drink soda, which is really bad. So I did try to cut down on those things. But at the same time, I also was like, I need to function in the the world too. So just a balance really is what I try to do. Which is important. Like it's important to have uh, an element of balance there. And we can sometimes go to the nth degree and then it's, like a really stressful, it makes the whole journey so much harder. So are you able to tell me about mindset? So there was there a time when you were like, hang on, I need to see something else other than everything that's going wrong on my journey? No, I mean, the, those first six months when we didn't know what was going on, that part, the mindset was really hard for me. And, and I was like trying to be a little bit better in terms of things like that. But then once I got the diagnosis, I was like, okay, I, we just need to trust the doctors and go forward with the doctors and what they say. And then with my second child, because we did five rounds um, of Clomid, we did four IUIs and then a step up because the, the first one didn't work. So then after that, like, I still was like, I'm just going to live my life and, you know, cut back on everything, but not like, you know, still, like I said, have that balance. But even that, I think in itself is a really powerful mindset to have. I talk a lot about, you know, this concept of trusting our doctors uh, Mm -hmm. and also the concept of continuing to live our lives. So I think that's really important. And so if we look at your Instagram feed, you're funny as fuck. Like you have a book, we can talk about that later, but like where did this sense of humour come from and this attitude of, you know, like looking at the funny side of things? I think a lot of that actually came from my husband. I mean, the two of us together, we joke all the time. Like there are times where I'm like snorting, like we're brushing our teeth and I'm like snorting toothpaste, like, because I'm, we're laughing so hard. We have a very kind of like inappropriate, like seventh grade boy humor banter back and forth, like all the time. So I think that that was a set like that in our lives. And then when we were going through infertility, I mean, I didn't have social media when we were going through infertility. I didn't even have a personal like Facebook account. I didn't have anything. So, and I didn't know many people who had gone through infertility. So I felt very, very much alone, but I had my husband and I had our jokes back and forth and we would make fun of like the little things. And like, you know, when he has to go give his donation and when the doctor said that, you know, his his donation would be 
cleaned and buffed. And I was just like, what? Like, did he seriously just say that? Like my, and we couldn't like keep it in. We thought it was so ridiculously funny, even though I was sad. And there were times that I was crying and that I was, you know, really, really sad. And, but there were also times that we were laughing. So I think that that's where the humor came from. And then when I started writing the book, I realized my husband was the one who suggested that I wrote the book. And then when I started writing it, I was like, wait, this is funny. Like this is funnier than like an infertility story kind of should be, you know? So then someone suggested that I start social media. And I was like, no, I don't like social media. Like I don't even have Facebook. And they're like, trust me, you need this. And I was like, fine. And I already started posting and it just kind of blew up. And what I've learned in the past three years is that people really, really want to laugh at like the ridiculousness about it. And it's so heavy and it's so sad so many times. And there's so many unknowns that if you can see something, you're like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I've been in that situation that it helps you and it's making people feel, you know, less alone. So, which the response has been, has been overwhelming. Like it's unreal. Awesome. Um, and so I noticed the other day on Instagram that you had your anniversary and that you just posted about how your relationship is, you know, stronger than it's ever been. Do you have any tips for strengthening and navigating our relationships during this testing time? Oh, yeah, gosh. I mean, I'm definitely not a relationship expert. I don't want to come off as that. And, you know, no marriage is perfect, but you know, my husband and I, like, we are very, very devoted to each other and we do have a really strong marriage. And I think it's just, you know, supporting one another. And especially when people are going through infertility, it's really hard if it's the male factor, if it's the female factor and whose like fault the infertility is, you know, I know that really weighs on people. The financial aspect that goes along with infertility is incredibly cumbersome on a, on a marriage and on a couple that's trying to save money. And I think that, you know, making sure that, that you feel supported, that the person that's going through and the person who's supporting that both of you guys feel, you know, I'm with you. I support you. We are a team. If you're going to do this, I'm going to be there for you. You're having a really hormonal moment. I'm going to support you through it. And I think that, or whatever the case may be. And I think that's really important. I know, you know, how everyone says that saying like happy, happy wife, happy life or something like that. So I say to my husband, I'm like, happy, happy man, happy fam. And because I really think that it's important that it's not just one way, you know, that I'm supporting him and, and, uh, you know, he has a lot of things going on in his life. And I'm like, if you are successful, we're successful. So let's, let's do this, you know? And I think that he knows that I love and that I support him and, and that I'm not resenting him because he's working long hours and he doesn't resent me because I'm working long hours. It's just making quality time that we have even more valuable. So I have noticed that you've mentioned that you have busy lives. Where do you have any set rituals or anything that you have to make sure that you have that time together and to make sure that you get that time to communicate with each other? We don't always do dinner together. We try to, but sometimes he's home really late. <laughs> like sometimes we have like shows that we watch together, like The Handmaid's Tale, which just finished, right? Yep. And the other person's not allowed to then go forward and watch that show without them. Like there were times where I'm like, it is Saturday or it's Sunday and I haven't seen the episode yet. I'm like, we have to, you know, like little things like that. Marriage code. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, come on. Like, I'm seriously going to go forward and watch the next episode. He's like, no, you're not. So that's really important to us. And 
you know, there are times where I'm like, I feel disconnected from you and, or even like not even emotionally or relationship wise, but like logistics wise, like I'm like, you have no idea what's going on. We need to work through this calendar. And we, we say it like it's a verb. I'm like, can we sit down and calendar? <laughs> and like, it's like, we have to like get out our phones and like put things in and talk through things. But we always have the morning. We're always getting ready together in the morning together. So we touch base a lot. Then we don't talk on the phone a lot during the day, like hardly ever. We don't text each other. We don't FaceTime during the day. Like it's sometimes we do when we have time, but not always. So, so a lot of it's just like making sure that we're connected. And then, you know, having adult time, I think is very important. The two of us together. And I just think that we, we make a, you know, a strong effort to be like, oh my gosh, like it's been, it's been three days and we're going to either kill each other or have grown up time, you know? So so that's, I think, also very important too. So if we go back to your journey, you mentioned that you had, what was it, four or five cycles of Clomid and then a whole, like a number of failed IUIs. Tell us about, you know, the journey of after you got to the fertility clinic, what that looked like, what was the timeline like for you? So, yeah, so I had two failed, just Clomid and timed intercourse cycles with my regular OBGYN. And then I had one um, Clomid and like a trigger shot with an IUI, which failed. And then my second IUI worked. And that was my first daughter. And then two or three years after when she was two years old, we started trying for our second. And I had five rounds of Clomid, but it was four IUIs because the first round of Clomid, even though it was the same milligrams that had gotten me pregnant with my first child, it, nothing happened. So I did five rounds of Clomid, four IUIs didn't work. And by that point I was like, I just thought, and and my husband supported me and my doctor supported me that if it were to work, it would probably have worked by now. And again, I didn't Google, I didn't know any statistics. Apparently I've been told that statistically I was right, but I, I was like, I just had a feeling. I was like, if it would have worked, it would have, it would have happened by now. So we went forward with IVF and then I got pregnant on my first round of IVF. So do you think it's important to, I guess, advocate for yourself and communicate with your RE instead of just, you know, like sometimes we can sit in the appointments, we can stay really silent, uh, not say anything, but in our heads we're like, mm, I'm not sure about this. Do you think it's really important for us to be open about how yes, we're feeling? Yes, I do. Yeah, I totally do. It's, it, I feel like I kind of told the line between like, because I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't Google. I trusted my doctor. But at the same time, I'm like, but I also advocated myself for myself, you know, and I do feel like there's a line there. And and yeah, I mean, I definitely, we could have kept going on with more IUIs. They weren't pushing me to do IVF, but I was like, I don't really see the point in doing this anymore. Let's move forward. And they were like, they supported me and they thought that was okay. So I do think it's important um, to be your own self, you know, medically self-advocate. I tell people all the time, like they're a doctor in the doctor's office. They're not going to be like, oh, Karen's feeling some cramping on her left ovary right now. I should call her. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have to tell them that. If I don't tell them that, they don't know that, you know? So they only know the information that's either coming up on our scans and our blood or what we're telling them. So if we don't tell them everything that's going on, they can't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. I know that some people I've spoken to, they've kept journals of what they ate and how they're feeling and their hormone levels and bloating this, you know, on a scale. And I think that's great because they've been able to then track different things for different cycles. And I think that's amazing. So, you know, I think it all depends on on the clinic and on the doctor and the relationship, but it's definitely very important to, to be your own self-advocate 100%. So what are some of the 
myths and perceptions that people may have about you based on, you know, like your Instagram feed and your book and things like that? Um, I think it's interesting. One of the things that, that you said in the email, and you're like, they're always happy and bubbly. And I was like, am I? <laughs> like, even I was like, am I really? And I was like, maybe that is how people perceive me. I don't know. So I think that would be one. I mean, I, I have to say, like, I feel very fortunate in my life and in, you know, everything that I have. And I'm just so thankful for everything I have. So I feel like that kind of comes through on my, in my personality and in Instagram. Um, but I think, yeah, that like that perception, like I have no bad days or that I'm never mean or whatever. And I'm like, no, like I can be mean and I can have bad days and I can be snarky and inappropriate, you know, and like, you know, do things like that. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's probably one. And I think another misconception, not that this is here nor there, but I did a thing of a month ago about like assumptions and people are like, I think you're rich. I was like, I'm not, not rich. I was like, I don't know why you think that. I don't know why. Like I'm always like posting from like my car and I'm like, no, like I'm still, I'm still a school teacher. You know, I still need to teach. So I thought that was really funny. I was like, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. It's so funny the way that people can perceive you from the things that you do and, you know, like where you are and because you've chosen to take, you know, like a certain path or be like out there in the world that people think um, like certain things about us. <laughs> yeah. We're normal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just a normal school teacher. Like, it's just so, it's so funny. we are like, oh, well, she, and I'm like, no, like I'm just still going to work every day. You know, it's funny. So what do you do on like bad days? Like, do you do gratefuls? Do you do prayers? What kind of things do you do on bad days or what kind of rituals do you have to, you know, like manage the mindset and things like that? I, so I'm not a religious person at all, but, um, when I'm having a bad day, I, I like to like take a really deep breath and just think about like all the stuff that I have and how, and not have like possessions, but like have in my life. You know, I work with a population of students that are very low socioeconomic population. And I think about all the struggles that they're going through and these families and these moms and these children. And I'm like, okay, like even on the worst day, I'm like, we have heat, we have electricity, we have our health, we have love, like get it in perspective because like, it's not that bad. And then I'm like, and then I kind of like almost kick myself. So I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Like I can't believe I was getting upset about this, you know? Cause I think that that's really, for me, that's really huge. Like, oh my gosh, there's so many amazing things in your life. Like stop harping on this one. Not that I don't like complain about certain things in my life or whatever, but I just, when there's like something really bad going on, like that's, that helps me to ground myself and be like, we're good. Everything's good. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that bigger picture is just so important uh, for us to always keep in mind. And so what are your thoughts on the whole, like, just be positive, I guess, movement out there? Do you think it like we can just be positive all the time or do you think it's healthy have a, you know, like a bit of both or? I definitely think it's probably healthy to have a bit of both. I mean, I think that especially when you're trying to conceive, it's so all encompassing, like it takes over and it's hard for it not to. So I'm, I can't, I'm not going to be here and be like, don't let it take over. Cause like, it's like over my life. It takes over your life. Like it takes over every waking second. Maybe it's not even being positive, but just being like, okay, like, I have a great relationship with my partner, you know, or I have a good job, or maybe I don't have a good job, but I have a good, I don't know, a good mattress or something like even something silly like that, like makes you feel comfortable or a great pet, you know, something like that. You can be like, okay, like 
that's the positivity in my life. And, and if I need to push more on focus more on that, I think that's important too. Also with like the, when you're going through infertility treatments, I think it's important to like not surround yourself by the positive, but like cut yourself a break a little bit, you know, like I was going through IVF during December and it was like, it was a lot to go to all the holiday parties and have the injections. And that's the time that we have like report cards due and parents or conferences. And I was hosting Christmas and like, like I remember being at a stoplight and like the stoplight was stressing me out. I like couldn't believe that this, it was red, you know? And like, so I feel like just, you know, in those months when you are really doing like the major um, procedures and things like that, cut yourself a break. Like, does your hair have to look amazing that month? No. Like, does, does anyone care if you order some more takeout? No. You know, like, does anyone care if like you're, you're wearing yoga pants a couple more days than normal? No. Or your bed's not made. You know what I mean? Like you might care, but like, just cut yourself be like, it's okay. Like, I'm just going to get through. And I always say, I'm like, lower the bar a little bit, you know, because it will probably help you to be like, it's fine. We're going to get through it. And it's not gonna be perfect, but it'll be okay. You know? So one foot in front of the other. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Day by day. So one question that I wanted to ask was, I have a lot of people in my audience who also suffer with secondary infertility. How was like number one different to number two? So like trying for the first child, how did that all feel for you? You know, especially because, um, so for me, I was kind of the opposite. Like I had this long road before having my first And then I fell pregnant fairly quickly with my second. But I had a lot of friends who were doing IVF at the same time. And I was like the opposite to you is that I was like straight up on the social media because I already had like a food blog. And so all these people, I was like a magnet for all of my friends who were doing IVF and things like that. And a lot of them had like success really quickly at a fertility clinic with their first and then really struggled with their second. Like it was almost like, they were experiencing what I had experienced the first time around. So how did that, how was that for you? Um, That's actually a really good, a really good question. For me, the first one was so much harder because there were so many unknowns. Like, will I never get pregnant? Are any of these treatments going to work for me? Am I going to need to go forward with, you know, donor eggs? Am I going to need, am I once, if I were to get pregnant, will I maintain a pregnancy? Will I be able to give, and if I maintain a pregnancy, will I give birth to a healthy child you know I mean there are so many and that's what I think in the beginning like just all that was just spiraling out of control in my head once I got through that and I had my daughter I think that I was like okay like now I know now I know that that I can get pregnant and I can carry babies to term and I can birth a healthy child so for my second time like I kept saying every month that was negative you know the nurses call and they're like sorry, Karen, but, and I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Like I've on the phone, I was like, it's okay. I have one. Like I have a child. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Cause I have a child. And I kept like using that as my perspective. Like, it's okay. I have a child. And yes, of course I want, you know, wanted to have another child and I wanted her to have a sibling so badly, but I was like, I have one. So I'm not going to like, I didn't really cry the second time. Like when I was on the drugs, I finally, like the injections, I like, at one point I broke down because the, because of the burning, but, but leading up to it, I, I wasn't as emotional. Every failed transfer, every, every failed um, IUI, I was kind of like, it's okay. Cause I have one. And like, and I think that for me helped me, but I know that also some people who I've heard from that, 
really puts a lot of pressure on them because they're because they want they want it so badly not so much for them but for their child that they already have like they're like I just want to give her a sibling or give him a sibling so I understand it in both ways but for me personally I I kept trying to you know every month be like it's okay I have a child and it will work I kept saying it's not a matter of if it, it's a matter of when and that was just kind of my mantra going through it's just a matter of when so that's so powerful I love I you know many times I've said that I've been your biggest cheerleader is so important. And many times I have sat there and repeated things to myself like over and over and over again to like coach myself through different scenarios. Uh, so I think that's so powerful. Yeah, so it helps, I think. Before we go on to the speed round, I want to chat to you about, you know, so I've already spoken that people can find you on Instagram at Hilariously Infertile, but tell us a little bit about like what's going on with you? You've had some exciting things just recently. You've got exciting things coming up. Talk to us about it. Oh my gosh, there's so much. I No joke, I was going through stuff the other day and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep all this in track and with school starting. There's a lot. So I um, was doing a shoot for a pilot for a TV show today that may or may not come to fruition. I'm going to be on CNN in a week. Ooh which is really exciting for me. And I, uh, coming up in November, I'm doing a second comedy night event in Boston, Massachusetts. And it's going to be bigger. It's going to be a theater of 400 plus people. So hopefully, you know, a lot of people from the, you know, New England tri-state area will be able to, to come to that. And, and hopefully I'm going to try to then do another show in Chicago. I mean, this is as pretty much as grassroots as it gets. Like I'm like, we're doing New York because I live here and we're doing Boston because I have family there and we're doing Chicago because I have family there and like I can sleep on their couches, you know? So, um, but yeah, just moving forward with those things. I'm also going to be emceeing a um, fertility conference, like a virtual conference for using um, a very similar system that you and I are using right now to see each other and to talk to each other. So um, I'll be doing that on November 2nd. That's with Fertility Bridge. And yeah, just keeping things, keeping us going. I'm just, I'm excited. It's, it's a lot, but I just want to get my message out there and I just want to help more people. And I just, I can't, if people are at home crying or sad or suffering, like I'm just like, we just, I just can't have that, you know? So I just want to reach more people that as many people as I can and, and help them laugh if they're having a bad day. So awesome. All right. Are you ready for the speed round? Yes. All right. What was for dinner tonight or what is for dinner tonight? I think I had two lunches today, so I didn't have dinner because I was on set. So I had um, macaroni and cheese and salad and set. But yeah, delicious. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is a book that everyone needs to read? This is a tough one. I don't know if I have like my like have to read book. I know that a few books that have really touched me recently it was a book called Small Great Things by Jodi Picoult. Um, which I loved. And uh, a long, long, long time ago when I was in school, I read Black Boy by Richard Wright. And I remember being so taken aback by that book. So I would say those probably those two. And I think while we're here, we should name your book. So yeah, <laughs> what's your book called? Yeah. Um, Hilariously Infertile, One Woman's Inappropriate Quest to Help Women Laugh Through Infertility. What is your favorite quote? I have two. Am I allowed to have two? Yes. Okay. So my first favorite quote that's for infertility and for like persistence is 
Um, I think it's by Thomas Edison where it's just like, I didn't, like, I didn't fail the test. I, I found a hundred ways to do it wrong. And I think that I like that a lot because it's just like, we feel like we're failing all the time, but we're just figuring out all the variables on what's wrong and we'll get there, you know, eventually. So I really like that one. And then for me personally, I love the Benjamin Franklin quote that says like, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today, because that to me just resonates so much. I'm like, just get it done, get it done. Let's get it done. Like I don't stop moving until about nine o'clock at night. And and then I'm like, ah, oh, I'm like, just do the laundry now. Like, just do it now. Like, just, let's do the dishes now, you know? And I just, that really, as like a working mom and, and social media person now, like that really resonates with me. Like, just do it today. Don't put it off until tomorrow. And also, cause like, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, you do, it's Saturday where you are, but like, I, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know? So, so we've kind of already touched on this, but do you have a favorite like affirmation or mantra that you used or anything like that other than the ones that we've talked about? Yeah, I think it's just the main ones we've talked about, just being thankful for for what I have and just putting things into perspective, you know, on those bad days and just being like, wow, like I like this is amazing what I have and and have built and not and again, not possessions, just like like the love in my family and, and the, the happiness that we have and the fulfillment and stuff. So I think that's to me, huge. Very last question is if you could shake people and scream something at them, what would it be? You're not alone. Probably would be the first thing. And, and perspective I think is, is huge. But I think for hilariously infertile, the biggest thing I want to be like, is you're not alone. Like no matter what you're going through, even if it's, the most like bizarre infertility horror story ever. I guarantee that there's someone who is right there with you, either going through it or has been through it. And like, you're not alone. There are people who you can, who can support you. Beautiful. What a perfect way uh, to end our interview today. Thank you so much for joining us. And I wish you all the best. That 400 person theater sounds very exciting so everyone who is in that area you've got to come to it so what's the date again for that one it's sunday november 10th at the arlington theater i'm sorry at the regent theater in arlington massachusetts awesome we're gonna fill uh, that stadium thank you so much for joining us thank and have a so great much. night <laughs> yes thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. If you would like more tools, resources and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinbirkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.